Well, Lord, we're just in desperate need of you. And that's an that's a easy, I guess, phrase just to say, to throw out, but the tr- there's so, such deep truth. We're desperate to hear from you. And the, the way that we hear from you is you take your word, you take the Bible, you take the scripture, and then you make it alive in a way that it, it's the only written thing in all of human history that can actually has the power to transform. So we're just asking you to transform us. And we're asking you to make it alive. And we're asking you to do what only you can do. And so you're welcome in this place. And not just this room, but you're welcome. And my, you might even just say, God, you're welcome in me. Just in your own heart. You're welcome in me. You get dominion and authority. You get to call the shots. Thank you for your presence here. In your name we pray. Amen. We're uh, on the downhill slide of this series called Less is More. And we've uh, been investigating um, these emotions, experiences we have where God wants to begin to remove those from us and give us more of himself. And so uh, the first few weeks that we've been uh, kind of addressing this issue has been uh, those things that we know are broken. We've been uh, stress and anger and anxiety, but just as much as God wants to remove those things from us and to give us himself, uh, he wants to remove all kinds of other stuff, uh, the stuff that's broken um, that, that we don't want either, uh, and that includes shame. And so we're going to have an opportunity because what God wants to do is remove shame from our lives. And it's something that's common to everybody. We've all done, every human I've ever known, every human that's ever been born has, is familiar with the idea of shame. We've all been ashamed of something or we often have been in seasons of our life where we're, we carry shame, but it's common to all people. And it, it can, there's a number of things that can happen for us to feel ashamed or feel shame. Uh, one of my favorite stories was my wife was uh, I get I get to tell it on her behalf. Uh, my my wife uh, was a freshman in college, brand new, moved to a new city, went to Texas Tech University. I cleared this story. It's okay. Everybody's like, you don't need to start on a message with shame and then start telling about your wife. That's that's bad preaching. So, um, so it's her freshman year uh, in college, so she's ch- trying out different churches, and she finds a church she thinks she likes. Um, it, it's a Presbyterian church, and they had kind of they had some things that were more formal. And so that, that when they did communion, they did it uh, by uh, people would line up, and then they would do it in tinction style, where you come up and you take the bread, and then you take the bread, and then you dip it into the cup, and then you go back to your seat and you can partake. Uh, but my wife Megan, she was a she was a a good Bible-believing Baptist growing up, and so she never had that experience of intinction before. So she gets to this church, comes up. She happens to be the first person on the first row to come and take communion. So she comes up, and she gets the bread, and she sees the bread, uh, and so she just eats the bread, and then she comes to the guy with the cup, and she grabs the cup and takes a sip out of it. And the guy's like, oh, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what's going on. And so... Uh, so she's good. Her communion's done, right? But she has now shared her communion with everyone else in the church, okay? So 
you can imagine the, the massive amount of uh, embarrassment that kind of hangs on you in that moment. And I just, I only, I just thank God for like, I don't know what God's system is for viewing like DVDs in heaven or whatever, but I want to see that moment whenever I get there just to enjoy that. I'm sure that'll be one of the first ones I ask God to show us. But um, we've all been at that place where we've been embarrassed, embarrassed or ashamed. And those are those kind of funny things that we experience. But let me... Let me tell you, there are, there are all kinds of experiences, and every one of us have had them, where we go past embarrassment and something hangs on us that's broken, that's deep, that it hurts. So my question is, what are you ashamed of? What shame do you carry? What debt have you allowed in your heart just to begin to accumulate? Man, what, are you, what are you ashamed of? It happens all the time. We tend to carry these things, these experiences, these emotions, and it messes us up. Maybe you're ashamed of your financial condition. Maybe you've got a ton of debt. Maybe you find yourself in a place where uh, you feel hurt and you want to fix it by going and spending money. You go spend money and then you figure out when the bill comes, you don't feel any better. Maybe you've got a bunch of debt. Maybe you don't know what to do or how to take care of it. Maybe you feel ashamed of it. Maybe you are ashamed because you struggle with lying and cheating, and you know it. Nobody else knows it. And you, you feel ashamed. You don't know how to fix it, but you can't stop yourself. You feel ashamed of the way you look. It's one of the big shames that we carry in our very glamorous, well-to-do culture. You don't like how you look. You feel ashamed. Maybe you look back 20 years ago and wish you looked like you did 20 years ago and you feel ashamed somehow that you've come to a place where you don't believe how you look and it bothers you. Maybe you aborted a child and you feel shame from that. You feel brokenness from that. Maybe you've carried on an affair or been a part of an affair in the past or Maybe somebody has abused you and it wasn't any fault of your own except for you, the one that somehow the victim carries the shame. It's the most amazing thing where you are the one that was hurt, hurt done to you, and yet you're the one that carries the shame. There's all kinds of reasons we carry shame. Maybe you had the biggest dreams for your marriage and it didn't work out. And it ended in divorce and you feel like you've been carrying this thing on you, this big D that you can't get away from. And you feel shame from it. Maybe you find yourself addicted to something. You can't stop and you constantly feel ashamed or you feel shame over it. So many things we could be, I mean, you watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, you feel shame for that. You should, you should. You know, hey, it's okay. Just hopefully we can get, find some scriptures. All right, you're a Justin Bieber fan. We, we can get through these things, okay? Here's the deal. The enemy, without question, wants you caught in the shame cycle. Enemy wants you caught in shame cycle. You can throw that up on the screen. If you want to, you can follow along with a set of notes if it helps you to follow along. Oh, I'll stay over here. Um, the enemy wants you caught in a shame cycle. 
Now, I want to describe the shame cycle to you. I'm not going to take long. We're going to try to go quickly. We're going to get through this, and I'm going to show you how God wants to smash the shame cycle in our lives so that we can begin to live the way that he intended for us to live. Now, here's the shame cycle. The first thing is what happens is you experience something deeply painful. Either it's something that you chose to walk in or you've been walking in or something that was done to you or against you. It doesn't matter whether you did it or someone did it against you. You find yourself walking through something really painful, really hurtful, harmful, emotionally, spiritually, physically, or otherwise. And the next step that happens is we begin to connect what happened with who we are. See, there's a, to- there's a difference between guilt and shame, right? Guilt is that thing where we come and, and we know we've done something wrong. It's an awareness what we've done something wrong. Shame is when we've done something wrong and then we begin to believe it's who we are. Guilt is that thing where we go, man, that, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I, I see and I can sense and know this was not right in some way, form, or fashion. Shame is when we be, begin to look at this and go, but that's who I am. I begin to find myself wrestling with the fact that I believe that what took place is who I am. And I can't extract, I couldn't change or remove any part of that from who I am. We find that all the time. So-and-so rejected me, so I'm rejected. Or I, f- I failed at this, and therefore I am a failure. You understand? It's one thing to look at something and say, oh, man, I, I messed up. I failed and understand guilt. It's an entirely different thing when you go, I'm a failure. This is the shame cycle that the enemy wants you in. I can guarantee you, I can look at every one of you in the eyes, and I know you've heard that whisper before. How dare you? I can't believe you. You are such a failure. You are a rejection. You've heard it before. Those thoughts, I'm going to tell you, those thoughts aren't just things that you just pull up because you feel like pulling those things up out of your head. That's the whisper of the enemy who has sought to put us in that place. We begin to internalize and we begin to think, after what I did or after what I went through, how could God actually love me? We've asked that question. You've asked it internally. If you haven't said it out loud, you've asked it internally. If, that's, if this is what I've done, this is what I've been a part of, if this is what I cannot stop doing, how could God possibly love me? We've been in that place. And every part of your identity becomes wrapped up in this thing that happened. And you can't separate yourself from it. And then what finally happens is we become a prisoner, tormented by that past. No longer can get away from it. And everywhere we go, it goes. And every place that we try to move out of, we find it following us. And we say things like, I'll I'll never get over this. Or I'll never be free from this. You ever had that thought? I'll never be free from this. I'll never be able to walk out of this. My life will never be the way that it could have been. My life will never be the way it should have been. And literally, the trajectory of our future is tainted by the prison that we live in. Thinking as if the days ahead will never be and can never be what God had planned because I've messed up so badly or the shame that I carry. Can never have a good marriage. 
and try as hard as I want. I'm never going to have what God wants me to have. And we feel trapped like we can't get out, like we'll never recover. And shame and depression and all those things begin to set in. And it starts, so we start to ask the question, well, what am I going to do? What do I do? How do I get out of this? That's the question. And so here's what we do. We deal with this in a hundred different ways. We all have different ways we deal with this. Some of us just say, we just stay very busy. Just stay super busy. If I stay really busy, then I don't have time to think about the things that I feel tormented by. If I'm spinning my wheels and I don't have to worry about what's going on. Or maybe we just keep things loud all the time. You can't go a moment without having to play music or having a video going or something going constantly because you're afraid to have to think about what's going on in the back of your mind. That feeling of shame. Or sometimes we just stuff it deep down and we begin to pretend like it didn't happen. We'll just put things away and just pretend like it's actually not true and we just keep stuffing it down. Or we might even begin to actually say or actually tell lies and not be honest about what's actually happened. And we, essentially, we try to hide from it. And, and truthfully, that's what's been going on from the beginning. From the very moment that sin entered into this world, that brokenness entered into this place, from that very moment, we've been hiding. We've been trying to hide from the brokenness. It's what we've been doing, right? It's what Adam and Eve did. And Adam and Eve chose to walk away from Safety, the life that God had for them. What was the first thing they did? They ran and they hid. Right? And we've been, there, we've been doing this since we were two years old. Right? All you parents that have potty trained, you know what I'm talking about. All right? Your kid is supposed to be potty training, does something that they're not supposed to do in their pants. What do they do? They go and hide. Or they're like, I don't know, you, you like, hey, did you, did, you go to the, did you go to the bathroom in your pants? And they're like, no. <laughs> did not. It's like, hey, it's, it, it's clear that you've done this. You know, but this is what we do. This is, this, we, can laugh at the, we can laugh at the two and three-year-olds all day long, but I'm telling you, people, this is what we do. We hide or we pretend. Aren't actually willing to deal with this, this emotion, this experience that is common to every human being. And I'm telling you, it's the worst in church because we love to put on our church face here and act like we have it mostly figured out when we know deep down it's killing us inside. And I'm just here to say God is ready to destroy the shame cycle. So that's the question. How do we break? How do we break living in that shame cycle? How do we get out of this place where we've got something that feels, when you feel, when you've got, a, when you're living in a place that feels like a prison, and you feel like you can't get away from it, and that your past is going to follow you wherever you go. The question is, how do we get out of that? How do we begin to break that? Not that God has some life-giving things that he wants to communicate from his word. The first thing we have to actually do is we just got to embrace the fact that we can't change the past. And this is maybe the first step that's so critical 
is, I want you to hear this. All throughout the scripture, what God is looking at his people and asking them to do is not run away from their brokenness, but be honest about it and come to him with it. It's the most amazing thing in all of the human experience is when we are broken, when we run from, or when we do something or when we've been a part of something we know is deeply broken, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to run and hide. We want to act like it didn't happen. And all throughout Scripture, what God is just looking for is somebody that has the guts just to be honest with what has happened and bring it to him and be real. To own it and say, this is what happened. Because as much as we would love to change the past or try to pretend if somehow it didn't happen, then everything would be better or everything would be okay or everything would be right. All that is is trying to pick up a problem and become God over the problem. Rather than say, I can't change history. I can't change the past. There's one place we get a chance to come to that can fix it. There's one place in all the universe we can come to to make this thing, to change this thing, but we have to be willing to say, I'm not God, and I can't change what happened. Is the, probably uh, the two biggest examples of failure you'll see in Scripture come in Matthew 26 and 27, where you see Judas, who turns his back on Jesus and realizes how badly of a mistake he made. But rather than owning it and beginning to walk through it, he runs from it and he takes his own life. One chapter later, Peter turns his back on Jesus. I'll tell you, they did the same thing. They did the same thing. Did he say amen? That was awesome. Peter does the same thing Judas does. Disowns, denies, turns his back on the Savior. Same failure, same mess up. I'll tell you, one of us, you, any one of us put our own, we put ourselves in Judas or Peter's own feet. If we put ourselves in their shoes, let me tell you the shame we would feel. I can't even imagine what Peter felt, especially since Jesus told him he would do it. I can't imagine the shame he felt. What does he do? When he, the next time he gets a chance to see Jesus, you know what he does? He jumps out of the boat naked and swims up to him and then has a fish fry for breakfast. <laughs> and you know what he says in that moment? You know what Jesus says to him? Hey, don't run. You feed my sheep. I got, I got an identity. I got a calling on you. I don't care about your shame. I don't care about what you did. I don't care about what's in the past. I have something for you to step right into if you'll run to me. You got to be willing to own it and just say, this is broken. I can't fix it. And when we come to that place where we're finally willing to say, I can't fix this. I got to be honest about this. I'm coming to you and I'll be real with you about this. Then we begin to walk out in that battle. Because every day we have to embrace there's actually a battle going on. 
Every day we have to see that there's a battle that we're fighting in. Scripture puts it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's talking to the church and he says, For though we walk in the flesh, from what we can see, we're not waging a war according to the flesh. Now look at this. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, let me just, I want you to stop there. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've read this scripture before. Read this again with me. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, what Paul is looking at the Corinthian church, which was a mess, by the way, an absolute mess. And he's looking at the Corinthian church, or I'd say he's looking at New River Fellowship, and here's what he says. You have divine power to destroy strongholds. That if you are in Christ, looking at you and saying, you have the capacity, the, the ability to destroy strongholds. Not because of anything you've done or any part of you, but because the Son of God lives in you by His Spirit. Giving you every ounce, every ability. He says, we destroy arguments. Now, there's the argument. Now, that's it. We destroy arguments. See, Paul knows the war is happening right here and right here. And right here. It's not this. It's right here and right here. And here's where the battle is. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So Paul's looking at the church going, listen, I know the battle. I know the war. I know the struggle. I know the shame. And I want you to know it's time to engage the battle. It's time for you to call upon divine power and destroy strongholds. And the argument that's going on in your mind trying to keep you and I uh, locked up in that place of shame, he's saying, destroy it. Kill it. By divine power, come against every argument. And you take it captive, which I, I just, the picture I get is just a throat grab. Of, you know, just whatever, the enemy. Okay? I don't know, whatever the devil or the enemy looks like to you, throat grab that dude. <laughs> Which, I don't know, I'm going to have to talk to the elders about cussing every once in a while, but you know. <laughs> so, I'll have to walk through some stuff. But anyway, you grab that enemy by the neck and you say, you'll obey Christ. That's the power that God's given to us. So when shame is trying to whisper its argument against the knowledge of God, the knowledge of who he is, he says, you take authority. Run over it. And then once you've taken authority, then here's what he's going to say. You're going to have to walk in the truth of God's radical 
love for you. Now, in the church, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, the love of God can become one of those things that you just, yeah, God loves me. And we forget the power of the love of God. But I'd say more than that, you and I cannot, you cannot carry shame and the love of God. Now, you need to hear this. You cannot carry shame and the love of God. They're completely incompatible. You get one or the other. You get to hold on or live out of or live from one or the other. I love the way a counselor put it this way. It says, you're on a trapeze of shame. There's no net below you, and you cannot swing yourself to safety. But God is sending you his own trapeze, and the only way you can take it and get to safety is to let go of shame and grab hold of God with both hands. It's the only way it works. It's the only way it works. You can hold on to the shame trapeze, or you can hold on to the God trapeze, but you, get, you don't get to hold on to both. I've seen The Greatest Showman. I know how trapeze works. <laughs> One or the other, you don't get to sit in both. The truth, the scripture says the truth sets you free. So the question is, what is the truth? What's the actual truth? See, the truth is more than just understanding, having a, an awareness that we've fallen short. The truth is actually reclaiming what God says about us. The truth isn't just an awareness of something. The truth is when it begins to move our hearts, our lives, where we begin to operate out of something completely different. And so the truth is this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Look at Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All that, listen, all that's simply saying is this. If God was willing to send his own son to die, then what measure of anything can stand against what he wants to give you? What shame, what guilt, what brokenness can stand against it? If this is the length with, with which God was willing to go to for you and for me, then I can tell you this. Whatever it is that you and I are hanging on to, he's ready for it. He's absolutely ready to make that exchange. And we feel like we can't. And he's going to say, he's going to give us the, the reason we can. Because look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's people, God's elect, his people? It's God who justifies. So anybody bringing a charge against you? The enemy bringing a charge against you? That fails. God justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So somebody speaking condemnation against you, Christ destroys that. 
Who can separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer is no, none of it. Verse 37, no, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's what he's saying. There is no argument. There is no past. There is no shame that can stand up under the weight of what God did in Christ on the cross. It destroys it all, and you and I cannot be separated from the love of God. There is nothing that can keep us from the love of God. There's no failure that overcomes the power of the love of Christ on the cross. Not one thing in all creation, not one thing in all of human history, not one thing in all the universe can separate us from the love of God. That's what the radical love of God is. Just thinking back to a testimony of our friends, uh, uh, some friends of ours that were a part of uh, helping us uh, with some, some things that we did in, in, uh, in our church in Abilene that we came from. And the short version is she was struck and broken with an eating disorder. It was killing her on the inside. She had so much shame. It was distancing her from her husband. Her marriage was cratering, and all of a sudden, then uh, he ends up in an affair. And then another affair, and then another affair. And she finds out that he's been in multiple affairs. And they decide they want to try to work through it. And then she finds out he's had 18 affairs. And so she says, when she finds out it's 18 affairs, she says, I want a divorce. So they go down the road of divorce. They've got divorce papers drawn. They're supposed to come to a, a, uh, the meeting uh, uh, with the attorneys. And they both decide, just last minute, they decide not to go. And they hold off, and they just try to, try to start a dialogue, and they jump into a small group with, uh, that is working through just marriage stuff, and they're working through it. And then all of a sudden, the Lord strikes uh, the wife, and she says, I have to be honest, I've had multiple affairs. So now the husband and the wife have been honest about having been broken and affairs. And at that moment, they come to this moment where God grips them and they just, they separate and they just begin to come before God to fix anything else. And God begins to do this work of restoration in them for who they are. And then God turns them toward each other and they begin to do a work of restoration. An amazing couple. God totally did a work of restoration in their lives, now walking in leadership, going on a mission trip to Poland this summer. This was years ago, but they're going on a, mo they're, they're a foster family, have incredible kids that they're fostering right now, going on a mission trip to Poland when their oldest uh, that they're fostering is actually going on a mission trip uh, this summer. God did this complete and utter work of restoration, and it came from this one place, being honest, being real, recognizing there's a battle, and they said, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing out there that can separate us from the love of God. So we're going to have an opportunity to respond to the love of God. Jeremy, you guys can come up.
God, here, you need to hear this. God's love overcomes every obstacle. God's love overcomes every obstacle. Everything, every idea, every thought, every ounce of brokenness, fear, shame, guilt, all that, all that. It overcomes all of it. There's nothing that can separate us from it. The question is, will we believe the truth and begin to walk out in it? Will we release that? You know, we, we sing the song, Reckless Love. Love that song um, because it is a descriptor of the love of God. Because we, we know God himself is not reckless, right? God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows his plan. He knows what he's always accomplishing. But his love is crazy. It smashes walls. His love has no respect for anything that stands against it. It's the Tasmanian devil of all loves. It's willing to plow through whatever it has to plow through in order to get to the deep place inside of us and say, I'm for you. You don't have to walk with this anymore. You don't have to walk in this dark place anymore. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. He forgives 70 times 7. He's the father that runs out to the son who is broken and rebellious, and he grabs him and he pulls him in. Psalm 103, Jeremy read it this morning, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. There's no limit to it. You can't tie it up. You can't even grab your arms around it. The minute you think you've found or understood the love of God, it blows your mind again. It destroys every argument. It's vast in its scope. It's uncontainable. It's who God is. God's love looks at altars that are sopping wet, and he sets it on fire. God's love is a kid who looks at an 11-foot giant and says, do your worst. It's what the love of God does. Whatever giant you feel like you're facing, let me tell you, the story of David and Goliath is not that we're David and the thing in front of us is Goliath. It's that God, Jesus Christ, was David, looked at the enemy and slew it for us. And that's what God wants to do this morning. I want you guys to stand with me. We're going to continue in worship. I want you to close your eyes. Whatever's helpful for you, we're just going to take a moment to respond to the love of God. And there may be an area of shame you need to just make the exchange right now. Or maybe you have felt ashamed. Or maybe there's something in the past that you feel like has been dictating your future. And the love of God is ready to come say, I'm willing to break in. I'm ready to come and break in. But you gotta make this, you gotta, you gotta let go of one trapeze to have the other. You don't get to hold on to both. So God, would you destroy every argument, every lofty opinion that raises itself up against the knowledge of you? 
Lord, would you give us grace to receive your love even as we sing this song? Would you give us power? The ability to receive the love of God that is in Christ. May we freely partake of it. If there's anything right now that it's trying to tell you, you can't sing or that you can't receive the love of God. You destroy it. You grab it by the throat. You take it captive. Make it obedient to Christ. God, would you fill our hearts with your love? In this moment, we ask in Jesus' name.